right up to hear my conversation with China AMC's Wen Jing. Uh, we talk all about China, including the short-term macro challenges that China is facing, some of the longer-term challenges, and reasons to be optimistic about the Chinese equity market. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be here with Wenjie Ding. Wenjie is the investment strategy for China Asset Management. Wenjie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me here. Uh, I'm looking forward to diving into all things China uh, during this conversation, but let's get started with a little bit about yourself. How did you uh, get to your current role, and and what was your journey like? Yeah, I actually joined China AMC in August 2021, and before that, I worked as a China economist at CNB International、um, for six years, covering、um, the China macroeconomic research. And prior to that, I worked briefly at China Development Bank after、um, finishing my PhD studies in applied economics. Great. Yeah, nice to join this this podcast. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes.、Um... <laughs> <laughs> and、uh, and where did you do your、uh, your PhD in economics? Oh yeah, I, I studied at the University of Pennsylvania, and before that, I um I actually started as a civil engineering background、okay. in my undergrad studies in Tsinghua University, China. Wonderful.、Uh, well, that places you in a great position to talk all things macro、uh, about China, to be sure.、Uh, so maybe we can start the conversation there. Um, and,、uh, and when I think about、uh, the macro environment that currently exists in China, it strikes me that、uh, there's a few things that are, are currently very prominent.、Uh, one being that sort of zero COVID policy that China has adopted.、Um, you know, increasingly difficult, I'd say, to maintain that in the face of Omicron and, and the、uh, the spreading of that being um, so um, robust. Love to hear about your thoughts on the zero COVID uh, um, policy. How much is that impacting economic growth,、uh, and, and do you feel that the government is able to maintain that policy? Yeah, it's actually quite unfortunate that、um, the pandemic has been around us for. Um, two years,、yes. um, but on the bright side, we actually have built a very、um, efficient and resilient system、um, to get detected and to prevent further spread of the disease.、Um, although we still have sporadic cases、um, of infection from time to time in China,、uh, we barely have mass lockdowns. And our work and life has been basically back to normal, and everyone I think here is managing to minimize the negative impact、um, of the COVID.、Um, we do have a few cases here, but、um, I think the supply side shocks is not as much as we did、um, in 2020. So,、um, regarding the question of board opening. And、um, I think we st- we are still、um, have some way to go before、uh, fully open the the border, considering the density and size of China's population. But clearly, we are make- making efforts and meaningful、uh, and continuous efforts in、um, pushing toward that direction. For domestic travels,、um, I think we are、uh, we are getting close to normal here. 
Great. Um, maybe just a follow-up question on that. Uh, you know, there's, um, as, uh, as Omicron is extremely um, yeah, easily transmissible, um, we, we, I guess so the concern is that um, there could be supply chain disruption um, based on locking down of cities, which we've seen recently in China, uh, large cities that have been locked down. And I guess, you know, taking a step back and looking forward, uh, do you believe that China is going to be able to maintain sort of the zero COVID or do you expect that uh, the sort of citywide lockdowns that could impact the supply chain, will they continue for some time in the future? Yeah, that's a good question. So actually, in fact, uh, we have few city level lockdowns. Okay, if there are cases in certain cities, for example, in Shanghai or in Beijing, uh, we only lock down that affected community. Um, it's not city level, it's not even district level. So I think the impact is, um, is quite confined to a very limited area. So that being said, I think the negative impact on supply chains, on uh, production and consumption would be quite manageable compared to uh, what we have experienced in, in, in last year, the, the year um, in 2020. Great. Um you mentioned yet last year there, last year, a very difficult year on a relative basis uh, for the Chinese uh, equity markets. Um, one thing that's interesting is it was such a robust year uh, throughout the rest of the globe. Um, and China is acting somewhat differently. That is true as well of uh, monetary policy, where the world is certainly in an, uh, the Western world is very much in a hiking cycle uh, with very hawkish language coming out of central bankers. Uh, the Central Bank of China, far more uh, in, a, in an easing uh, cycle. What's your view on, uh, I guess, the future of monetary policy in China and also this dynamic of China just being quite different than the rest of the world? Yeah, thanks for pointing that out. Uh, we do think that policy stimulus is one of the most important investment themes to pay attention to this year. Um, and actually stabilizing economic growth is of paramount importance to the Chinese government this year. And we have already seen monetary policies on fiscal expenditures. Um, and I believe a lot more industry policies are underway um, to be released soon. Um, yeah, I think this is a very good and interesting opportunities for, for global asset owners and asset allocators who are seeking diversification um, across their asset classes. And uh, because China is uh, presumed to be less correlated this year. And last year, unfortunately, we did underperform the global markets by a lot. Um, but if we looking back in 2019 and 2020, sure. China actually outperformed, um, and especially the growth sectors, the Chinext, um, have outperformed even the, the, the CSI 300 by a lot. So I believe this year could be a more pleasant year um, for global investors. And what's behind that optimism, I guess? So we, we mentioned central bank easing cycles. Um, you know, what, what other uh, macro factors are you looking at that, that uh, makes you positive on China for, say, the, the next year? Yeah, besides the policy stimulus, which is actually affecting a lot of industries, uh, we are also looking for opportunities for consumption rebound. Um, we we are actually uh, expecting, um, you know, the some relaxation of zero COVID policies after the two sessions in March. Um, okay. I guess the government will begin soon to encourage 
people to take off their masks, to um, travel within the nation, around across provinces and across cities. And those are going to um, to boost consumption and uh, um, putting people back to their lives. So we are an our investors and our portfolio managers are actually um, paying more attention to those names that could benefit from this post-COVID recovery. That's great. And we'll get more into the positioning of the specific strategy and where you're seeing opportunities in just a moment. Uh, but I do I do have some more questions on the macro side and maybe shifting a little bit from more of the shorter term focus to longer term trends. Um, you know, one of the most stunning things about China is the last 40 years, just the progression of how far uh, the country has come when you think of, uh, I think it was 76, the Cultural Revolution had had concluded. Uh, Deng Xiaoping was in 78, came to power and really started opening it up um, and, and investing in China and improvement has been dramatic. Um, part of behind that uh, improvement was uh, demographic. Uh, demographics are destiny is a, a saying that people say. Um, and you had a expanding working age population. You had a migration that went from rural part of the country into urban part of the country. A lot of productivity gains along with that. When we look forward for the next, say, 20 years, next generation, uh, we'll see the, the uh, working age population starting to shrink. Uh, how much of a concern is that uh, to you? And, and how do you think that the government or society or companies are trying to, to tackle that? Yeah, thanks for um, bringing this up. I think this is one of the major challenges China is facing, and I think even the world is facing um, such kind of challenges. Um, but the bright side is with the digitalization of the economy and um, automation of the pr production process, we probably don't need as many labor force headcounts as we did in the past. So um, I think the key concern here um, will boil down to the labor productivity of the working sure. population. Um, so in the past 40 years, we gained productivity um, because we have this increase in, uh, in working population. We gained from the quantity gains. But going forward, I think really it's, it's the quality that matters. So in that respect, I think there is still... Um, Pretty a, a pretty large gap between China uh, and other developed market. For example, in terms of absolute value of China's labor productivity, um, it is only one third of the average of developed markets, um, and even smaller if we compare to the United States. And if we look at the the working population, the average years of education is less than ten years, which means. Um, only about 50 of them um, have been to high schools. So in that respect, I think um, the Chinese government has a lot to do to um, boost the quality or the, uh, the skill set of these workers. Uh, so education reforms is certainly one way we should go. Um, and on the, other, uh, on the other hand, we are also observing many vocational training programs hmm. for, uh, for professional workers. So the factories are equipped um, their workers with more no, uh, state-to-art know-hows uh, so that they can adapt themselves more easily to future technology innovations. So I think these are the ways for China to go in order to boost labor productivity. Great. And um, 
I guess what gives you confidence that the government is going to be supportive of, uh, of those investments, whether it be in more education, uh, promoting more uh, productivity? Uh, how, how, does it, how, how do you think the government will go about that? Or in what role does private business have to play within that as well? Yeah, um, so we in, in mainland China, we are experiencing an educational reform. Uh, right now, as we can see from the capital market last year, uh, sure. there are a lot of shutdowns of private tutoring. Um, but right now, there are more tutoring services for, uh, for example, for physical exercises, for art educations, for humanity education. So um, I think the government is trying to build the next generation to be more um, more well-developed, both physically and um academically. So um, we're supposed to have a stronger population and a stronger workforce going forward. Yeah. Great. And I think there are um, still quite some opportunities for private businesses in engaging in those kind of training programs. Yeah. Good. Um, maybe we can maybe we can pivot then to what you're actually looking uh, at right now within China. Uh, what industries, sectors, companies are interesting to you, um, and give me a little bit of rationale. What's interesting and why? Yeah. So we we are still confident about some growth sectors, uh, like we did last year, for example, in renewable energy companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so the green initiative, I think, is still one of the most important themes for China in the next um, decade or next 20 years or so. Um, We are shifting towards greener electricities. um, And and very fortunately, China has one of the the most mature supply chain of, for example, solar panels and electric vehicles. And this big value chain is going to create a lot of um, investment opportunities for even global investors. We did a bit of calculation for um, the size, the market size of China's um, new energy, uh, new, uh, new new energy vehicle supply chain, which amounted to 1.8 trillion US dollar, which is kind of a massive number. So um, yeah, I believe if you if you look at the wind power sectors, um, it, it's also a very big market for investors too find opportunities. Yeah, and there are also a few um, mega trends that we can chase. For example, the the demographic changes that's going to spur um, many opportunities in consumption growth and in healthcare services. Great. Yeah, but these are part of the, some long-term mega trends that we should pay attention to. And just to go back to one of the numbers for a point of clarity, you mentioned $1.8 trillion. Is that that's the uh, overall investment that's going to be required to upgrade the global fleet of vehicles? Did I have that right to sort of a renewable electric vehicle? Oh, that's the market size, the total market cap of the electric vehicle supply chain. Got it. So if we sum up um, the market cap of all those companies listed. I see. Wonderful. Uh, it sounds like a fertile fishing grounds and for to take a, advantage of that particular trend. Um, you, you mentioned uh, healthcare and demographics. Uh, what's specifically interesting there? How much do you expect um, the you know the the government to be involved in some of the healthcare uh, pieces? And how do you think about in general, uh, whether it be state-owned enterprises or just government involvement in in certain sectors? How do you think about that? And how do you approach it as an investor? 
Yeah, I think for consumption and healthcare, um, we are finding some balance between state-owned business and private business models. So some things has to be state-owned in order to um, ensure that it's, it's a public good. So for example, the bulk of the healthcare system, um, I mean, hospitals are, are, are state-owned right now um, because it's public goods. Um, we, we have to, to ensure that it has fair access to, to individuals. And for other part of the, the business, I think um, private business actually have a lot of room to, to improve, especially if we consider the, the consumption areas. Yeah, almost like more than 80% of the list, list codes are private owned. Great. Um, that, that, that's perfect. Uh, maybe as we sort of uh, look to the more medium term future, um, is there any particular sectors? I mean, you've mentioned uh, the renewable energy. That sounds like it's going to be a very long term trend. Uh, certainly, it's been highlighted by uh, in the five year plan as a, mm-hmm. as a place to, to invest in. Um, you, you mentioned healthcare and, and demographics. That also seems like a longer term trend. Is there anything else that you're looking at in uh, longer term, or is there anything that's a little bit more tactical where uh, right now you, you view it as a maybe a shorter term tactical trade? Yeah, for the shorter term, we um, are actually more positive about some companies in traditional sectors or the old economy arena. Um, for example, we are looking at some SOE developers um, because the, the the property market is um, having some difficulty last year. And this year, um, given all the government support and given market consolidation that has been experiencing right now, uh, we believe some SOE developers who have a very strong cash flow positions, a very healthy balance sheet and healthy leverage ratios are going to benefit from mm. um, the, this trend and they are, they are likely to outperform. And is this a result of uh, the problems in Evergrande and people sort of just getting away from the sector as a whole and being indiscriminate in selling where you, you have these businesses that are, you know, as you mentioned, well capitalized, backed by uh, the state explicitly or implicitly? Is that the idea? Yeah, I think it's certainly correlated. It's just from um, from this crisis, we can find some hidden assets in this property market. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, maybe uh, I'll ask just one question to, to conclude the conversation, which is what makes you most optimistic about uh, Chinese equities uh, over the next, call it, decade or, or longer? Um, yeah, thanks for asking. Um, I've been thinking about that all the time. So I think there are a couple of um, things I want to point out. The first one is certainly still growth. Um, although China's growth is decelerating given all those um, transitions of the economy uh, from investment-driven to consumption-driven, and it's still outpaced uh, most of the other nations in the world. So growth um, is one of the appealing things um, I would invest in China equities. And the second one, I think, is um it is the market environment. Um, we, we always see improvements in market environment, uh, whether it's regarding uh, to regulatory environment or it's uh, regarding to the competitive landscape of uh, market participants. Um, and that, that improvement, I think, 
would boost future product productivity gains and uh, uh, growth of all those listed companies. Maybe I'll sneak in one last one just based on that. How much does um, the liberalization of capital markets, foreign investors coming into to China in a big way, how much is that motivating some of the improvements that you just talked about within either regulatory or, um, or um, capital markets as a whole? Yeah, I think the liberalization and opening up process is always going on despite all those uncertainties and volatilities. Even this morning, we are writing a piece to the Chinese regulatory bodies. Um, they're asking us, they're seeking advice from us um, to further open up the capital market and asking us whether we have any difficulties in, um, in helping foreign investors in this market. So I think from the regu from regulations point of view, they always want to promote this liberalization of the financial market. And I think this opening up actually um, helps China to build a more um, market-driven and more professional capital market going forward. So yeah, I, I think um, I would expect more concrete measures to be rolled out gradually. Great. Well, Wenjie, I appreciate you uh, spending the time with us. It's late uh, in your evening, so thank you for making that. Uh, and uh, really appreciate the conversation. Sure, it's my pleasure. Hope to talk to you in the future. Sounds great. Take care. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and Mackenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.